Let's talk today about Dante's Paradiso, Cantos 26 and 27. Last time, we talked about part two of the fixed stars. We talked about John and love. We talked about Peter and faith. And we talked about James and which theological virtue did James talk to Dante about? Hope. Very good. And those together were the so-called what virtues? The theological or the holy virtues. Does anybody recall the name of the four pagan virtues? Yes? Oh, so you actually know them. Yes. Can you tell us what those four are? Yes? No, I mean, what What were the words that you just used? Fortitude, temperance, justice, and prudence. Very good. Does anybody know what those four together, like the directions are called? Yes? The, the what? The cardinal virtues, those virtues by which you orient yourself in the world. Very good. All right, so now, as you can see, we have the creation of Adam up here in front of us. Looks like a godlike figure with cherubim around him is about to touch out his finger to this humanoid-looking guy, Adam, here, and something magical is going to happen. I would suggest that perhaps this will be a creature becoming conscious for the first time. Time. But um, we'll have to see whether that is the case, so says Dante. So let's start with a quote. Dante meets Adam, the first man. And here's a quote from Genesis 2, 4 to 3, 24. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. I'm sorry, this is not to 324. This is to like 2, 7. Um, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And that man was called Adam. And in the Hebrew, I don't know Hebrew, but I do know this word in Hebrew. Adamos means man. Means man. So his name just means man. So he is man. All right, very good. So Dante has four big questions for him. And what are they? Well, the first one is... How long has it been since Adam was in the Garden of Eden? Which means, how old is mankind's consciousness, slash mankind as man, living in the world, knowing suffering and anxiety because of knowledge of death and vulnerability? Two, how long did mankind last in Eden? The answer will be, not very long. <laughs> uh, number three. What was the original language? Uh, Adam will give another one of those uh, answers that we've been getting lately, uh, which talks about ineffability. As we know, with the justice of the divine in spirit of Jupiter, we cannot know it because it is too deep. As we know with some of the divine thoughts that the contemplatives have about predestination and free will, the heights are too high for us to scale to understand that, and who is chosen, and even the angels don't know the difference between the so-called elect or ripe fruits of mankind and the rotten fruits of mankind that are not elect. And, well, we will learn here that we don't get to know what the original language was. But I will give you a hypothesis on that. Because sometimes when you're not given the answer, you can potentially find it for yourself. And then four, was the tasting of the tree, the so-called eating of the fruit from the tree, uh, the knowledge of good and evil, that tree by which uh, Dante would have believed mankind came to understand the difference between good and evil and therefore understood the importance of time because it is only if time exists and one dies within time that one choices, one's choices truly matter, right? Because if you're an infinite being, like one of the Olympian gods that lives forever, can you act however you want without consequences? Yes. 
But if you're a human and you're going to die, do your choices matter because you do not get that time back that you spend making your choices? Yes. And that, therefore, that is the birth of good and evil for humans. Do you use your time well or poorly? Do you help people or do you hurt people? Good. And so Adam will read Dante's mind like a mirror reflecting him, as if the nature of Adam is reflected in the nature of whom? Dante. And therefore us. That's correct. That's correct. That it would be Dante's idea that the soul of Adam is a human soul in the same way that uh, all humans have souls. So Dante would have believed. Though he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about souls as souls. Much more, uh, that's more of an Aquinas sort of thing to talk about. Also Aristotle, Plato, most of the philosophers talk about that. Not as much the, uh, not as much the poets. Alright, let's move on. Adamantus. Question one. How long since you were in Eden? Well, I'll answer the second question first. Adam only spent six hours in Eden. Six to seven. That's one of the shorter estimates that could be given. Um, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But in any case, Adam spent 930 years on Earth, one of those exorbitant amounts of time that Old Testament figures were often alive. Adam was supposedly alive for quite a few years, Noah too, far longer than um, a normal human lifespan. I'm told by scholars that as one gets deeper into the Old Testament, lives get shorter and shorter and shorter, and that some theorize that that is supposed to, um, that is supposed to uh, parallel the, the distance that people have from the divine. So at the beginning, walking in the same garden as the divine, people lived forever, and they were slightly outside of it, they lived for a long time. As they get farther and farther away, they live shorter and shorter lifetimes, which is a very interesting thing to think about. Perhaps we can talk about it in seminar. Well, in any case, because of how old Adam is, and because uh, the gates to heaven were not opened until after the death of Jesus, he spent quite a bit of time in limbo and, and, and thus in hell. He spent 4,302 years in hell because, well, the gates of heaven weren't open yet, and that's the only place to go. And he has now been 1,266 years in heaven. Uh, hopefully those years have made up for those years in hell he had. And therefore he is 6,498 years old. And so there are a camp, uh, there are several camps of people who study, who are biblical scholars, who believe that that is how old the earth actually is. Supposedly if you really go through the Old and the New Testaments and you check out all the chronologies, and the genealogies and go through all the dates and the figures and the generations, you'll come to a figure of the earth being around 6,000 to 7,500 years old. Now, there are plenty of people who think that's metaphorical, relates to, say, how long culture and consciousness has been around for humans, because we don't have much evidence of humans consciously communicating with each other past 10,000 years, though there are stories from 25,000 years ago with certain, um, with some tribe of northern Japanese people. They have bear rituals that we found in archaic man from 25,000 years ago. Very interesting. In any case, that's how old Adam is supposedly for Dante, and thus how old humanity is, which is not very old. Not very old, uh, though very old compared to each uh, and every one of us. All right, question number two. How long did you last in Eden, Adam? I always find this a funny question because it wasn't even a day. It wasn't even half a day. It was a quarter of a day, which means that man is, by nature, very what? I would say 
more curious than he is obedient. More curious than he is obedient. He's part of the story of Adam is that he was put in this garden, this garden of terrestrial paradise that we saw in purgatory, and he was given one restriction, which is do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve was then made from his rib. She then was tempted by a serpent. The serpent said, surely you will not die if you eat from this fruit. She ate from it, and then she gives the fruit to man. That will be a big part of the story in Paradise Lost when we read Milton. Well, there are many ways to interpret that particular interaction, and certainly Adam had his own way. In fact, the first thing he does after putting a leaf on, after realizing his vulnerability, because he comes to understand the value of time through understanding morality, is he blames the woman, actually, to God. Uh, God says, why is it, who told you that you are naked? And why is it that you have covered yourself and hidden yourself from me? And uh, why did you do the one thing that you weren't required, that you were not allowed to do? And he says, it was the woman. She gave me the fruit. And I always think that's funny. There is a contemporary scholar who interprets that as suggesting that women made men conscious through becoming conscious before them and using food in order to do that, in order to teach them communication, which is, you know, a very interesting sort of theory. Um, if you think about how a mom is involved in the transmission of language to young people, generally the primary language of a mother is the language that a child learns. Also something interesting about mothers as well. The education, the educational level of mothers rather than fathers is generally indicative of the educational level that their children will attain towards, which is very interesting. Very interesting. In any case, this According to scholars, six to seven hours in Eden is about the, sh the shortest possible interpretation that could be supported by the text. Something also to note, especially for our upcoming quizzes, is that Dante also spends between six and seven hours in heaven himself, in celestial paradise. So there's a parallel between Adam and Dante here. And as I said, the longest interpretation of how long Adam could have potentially spent in Eden is 33 years, that is significant, not only because each canticle of Dante's is 33 cantos, but that is supposedly the age at which who died? Jesus, right. Not just Alexander the Great, not just Bruce Lee, but also Jesus. Although Dante, I believe, thought that uh, he was in his 35th year when he died, very interestingly, because he wanted him to be half 70, which is an Old Testament figure for how long humans' lives are. Though not 9.30 like old Adam. All right, question number three. What was the first language? Well, Dante wrote a work on language called De Vulgari Eloquentia. And in that work, which was which preceded, means was before uh, his Divine Comedy, he thought Hebrew. Um, Hebrew was the language of the ancient Jewish people and is still to this day spoken, which is rather incredible, though it was not the language of Jesus. What he spoke was a slave language of the Babylonians called Aramaic, which is a language which is not still alive, but you can still learn, especially if you study theology in graduate school. Generally in graduate school, you would have to study that. It is also a Semitic language, just like uh, Hebrew is. In any case, Dante no longer believes that. He's moved past that idea. Adam says here, 26, 124 to 126, the language I spoke had fallen into disuse before the work that could not be completed was ever attempted by Nimrod's people. We recall that the work that could never be completed was the power of culture made by man to reach up to God. 
to have the power of God, which of course fell apart before it got there, which is an interesting metaphor for how each culture, the farther it gets before it is destroyed by division and war, attempts to become as divine as possible. It's very interesting if you look at our own culture. Do we care a lot about medicine that keeps us alive for as long as possible? More than anything, we spend almost, we probably spend, there are three things that we spend the vast majority of our money on. They are defense, defense keep us alive, of course, of course, medicine, and entertainment, and entertainment. And it's very interesting because if you think about the old pagan idea of a heaven, what's always going on there? Apollo and the musics are playing music? Well, think about Dante's conception of heaven. Is there music going on up there all the time? They live for quite a long time out there, or live, quote unquote. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, the the whole process of culture seems to be a process of betterment or of becoming less vulgar, less animal-like. Uh, very interesting. Very interesting. In fact, the very first act of culture was an act of trying to better conditions by wearing a leaf. That was a primitive attempt at wearing what? Clothes. Right. And to this day, we wear very flashy, different, interesting clothes. Yes, all right, in any case, Adam's language was gone before the Tower of Babel ever fell. So before, uh, so some people might have thought that there was one language that had existed all the way until the Tower of Babel, especially if they under, uh, interpreted the Old Testament literally. Um, well, that's not the case, so says Adam, according to Dante. Languages come and go. Languages come and go. Usage comes and, go and goes. In fact, I learned a word yesterday. I, I don't know if I asked you about it. I asked another class about it. I heard about flexing. Now, obviously, I know that flexing is the opposite of extending. Um, uh, but I learned that how you use that term, and it's funny because I heard two different definitions of it was to, there was an old term when I was growing up called flossing. I don't know if any of you have heard it. That's when you show how much money you have over somebody. You, you're like, oh, this dollar bill, bookmark, don't even need it. Or light a $100 bill on fire or something like that. Um, very rude, but would help inflation. Um, <laughs> but this word flexing, I heard, means when you express dominance over another person. Is that a correct definition? When you're trying to show that you are better than they are in some specific domain? It's funny, language be changing, right? Yes, language be changing all the time. And so that's Adam's point. He says his language had already disappeared, um, and that man should speak as a natural phenomenon but whether this way or that, nature allows you to work it out as seems best to you. You can speak how you want, says Adam. Says Adam. In fact, I thought I had a nice quote about this. Ah, yes, I did. He says that mortal usage is like a leaf on a bough. And what is it we know about leaves? Or leaves, excuse me. During the fall, they do what? They fall. Right. They change themselves out. They replace themselves just, just like humans do, according to... Oh, if one of you remembers who gave this quote from book six of the Iliad, talking about leaves on a tree and how they relate to the generations of man, yes? Glaucus. It is Glaucus, trying to stay alive before who kills him. Diomedes. And yet Diomedes not kill him, but he does get his nice golden armor, which is worth 100 oxen, or his bronze armor, which is worth nine. And so, I just want you to notice this connection here. Again, this is one of these leaves and garden and tree metaphors that we will see so often in Celestial Paradise at the very top the very roots of things. High-hearted son of Tidius, why ask about my birth? Like the generation of leaves, the lives of mortal men, now the wind scatters the old leaves across the earth, now the living timber bursts with the new buds and spring comes round again. And so with men, 
And so with language, so with uh, Adam, say, as one generation comes to life, another dies away, but about my birth, if you'd like to learn it well, first to last, though many people know it, here's my story, Iliad Book 6, uh, lines 145 to 151. All right. Adam here finishes his point by saying, even the names of God change throughout time, which is obvious. I've told you the name of God in the Greek religion, or the word form, theos, from which we get the word theology. In Latin, the tongue of the Romans, the word is deus, um, ignominy, uh, or excuse me, I'm trying to say the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, but maybe I'll just give you a poetic device. Deus ex machina, God from the machine, which is a play, a device for drama, when a god comes and creates a solution at the end of a play. Um, obviously, in Hebrew, there are multiple words. There is the so-called tetragrammaton, which is four letters, which is called Yahweh, which is not generally said aloud. Sometimes uh, those who are Jehovah's Witnesses, they translate the word differently. The word Yahweh is translated to Jehovah. And of course, there's also the word El, which is why we have so many words with El in it. Uh, El Eet. Elijah, Israel, Ishmael, who will be a big figure in Moby Dick next year. Call me Ishmael, will be uh, uh, what the protagonist says, though obviously that's not truly his name. He's supposedly the first of the Arab people, the first of the Arab people. So any name that has L in it like that, that is also a name for God, which means that even the names by which you call the most important thing change, which means how many things change in this world. Pretty much everything. That's right. Pretty much everything. Perhaps the meanings don't change, but the words certainly do. All right. And then number four. Why did you get expelled from Eden? I think this is important, especially being a teacher. And those of you who will take responsibility at some point and manage people, whether you do that as a parent or whether you do that professionally, I think this will be an important lesson to learn. He says, now my son, 26, 115 to 117, the tasting of the tree was not in itself the reason for our exile, but only the act of going beyond the bounds. We hear that ge geometric language, going beyond the bounds, going out of bounds. The reason is very Jupiter-like. He only gets punished because he broke the rules, not because he was evil or bad, which means that when you are punished, and I talked, about you, talked to you about this a couple days ago, when you are punished, the reason why you are punished as a human is not because you're evil, but because your free will is being respected. If we are going to reward you for your good choices, it only makes sense that we must do what for your bad choices? Punish you. Right. If you go unpunished, and this is Dante's position, and I think it is a strong position, even when you do ill as a conscious being, then your dignity as a human who makes their own free choices is harmed. And perhaps even it harms your idea of what morality truly is because that's what might make a person forget that there is a difference between good and evil. It's almost like one of the most evil things that you can possibly do is not to punish somebody for the wrongdoing they do because then you convince them that wrong and right do not exist, which is so obviously untrue that uh, it's painful to imagine. All right, so Adam was expelled due to breaking the rules, not because of his coming to consciousness and his understanding of vulnerability, which is very strong, very strong. All right, Canto 27, Peter's denunciation, 
of the church. Notice here, what color has Peter turned over the top left of this screen? Red, which probably means, which emotion is he feeling at this moment? Anger. Quite some anger, yes. So enter, uh, we, we're not yet entering the ninth sphere of heaven, the prima mobile. We will right after this. We will right after this. But Peter changes from silver to red, like as if Jupiter and Mars turned to birds and changed colors, as 2713 to 15 says. His anger, what is its reason? Well, it's from Pope Boniface VIII and how he has made of my burial place a sewer for blood and filth. That's an excellent quote, especially for quizzes, 2725 to 26. It would be a delight for Lucifer down there. Well, that's the opposite of where Lucifer is supposed to be inside of the Holy Church. I think it's supposed to be God that is there, um, or at least something far less infernal than Lucifer. Uh, so all things are inverted on earth, like in hell, including justice. Because in the holiest of holy places, where the representation of the divine is supposed to be, or the fount of truth is supposed to come from, there is a figure who seems to be embodying Lucifer very well. That person happens to be Pope Boniface VIII. And of course, Dante has personal reasons for saying this about Pope Boniface VIII, because what is it that Pope Boniface VIII so unjustly did to him? Exiled him, or allowed his exile by the, the uh, black wealths in Florence. Very good, very good. Gotta keep moving, gotta keep moving. And so, 2740 to 42, the spouse of Christ was not brought up upon my blood and that of Linus and of Cletus, martyrs, so that she might be used for making money. Again, the church has aims which transcend making money. Ever since the donation of whom, however, the church has been concerned with property, wealth, and power in the world, according to Dante. Yes, Constantine. Very good. Very good. And what is such an aim? Well, how about binding people together by genuine moral effort? How about binding people towards the highest so-called final cause there is possible, giving people a unified goal, which is to improve the world around them and the lives of those with whom they interact? Is that a difficult goal? A, yes. Is it so difficult that you could never fully achieve it? Yes. Is it a goal that would bring out the best of everybody around you? Yes. Is that a goal that is based on pursuing something of potentially infinite goodness that would produce good beyond what you could ever imagine in the world? Well, you have to find out for yourself. You have to see. You have to test that hypothesis. And so, in any case, is that worth more than money? <laughs> Interesting, and you'll have to make that decision for yourselves. Interestingly, trust as a commodity does lead to wealth in nations. That's a very interesting thing. In fact, there's a very profound scholar. His name is Francis Fukuyama. I'm listening to a book of his on uh, the creation of political order in the state. I'll listen to his book on political decay after that. Each book takes about 26 hours of listening. They're very thick. Uh, he also wrote a work called Trust, where when a society is a high-trust society, they can distribute credit to each other. They can make loans to get paid back. Um, uh, loaners can pay, pay out loans to debtors, and debtors then pay back their loans. That creates wealth within a society. Which is very interesting because if you think about it, you can't trust people around you. Can you trade with them? And if you can't trade with people, can you receive goods that you cannot produce yourself? No. And so it makes perfect sense why trust produces trade and trade produces wealth. 
And uh, that is why I would say at any school, but especially at this school, we highly, highly, highly value trust because it leads to our what together? Our success, our success, yes. Yes, you know, I talk a lot about intelligence and willpower and things like that. Those are all very important. Nothing is as important as trust, though. So a moral nation is a rich nation, economically speaking. And, um, well, four popes martyred for more than simply money are listed here. I'm not going to talk much about them, but you should know these names, especially for quizzes. They are Sixtus, Pius, Calixtus, and urban. I'll give you about 10 more seconds to write those names down and then we are moving a little bit more. Okay. It was not our intention that one party should sit upon the right hand of our successor while the rest of Christendom sat upon the other. 27, 46 to 48. This is the second issue. Not only has Boniface made a mockery, made a, uh, what is the word I'm looking for here? Is that, there's a good word. There's an excellent word. Uh, not just a mockery. I'll think of it later. Um, oh, it's a word that people misuse all the time, too. It is <laughs> spending so much time thinking of this word. It is a travesty. There we are. That is a word. A travesty does not mean tragedy. Travesty means to corrupt something, to twist its use from what it was originally meant to be. Just as Boniface has made a travesty of the papal seat, the office of pope, so has factionalism also grown within the church. It was meant to unify or divide people. Unify. To unify them in the most profound possible way. A way that no other creature can possibly be unified in. Because the idea behind a church and a state is that you unify based on your ideas from which you act. No other creature that has ever existed can unify for those reasons. They have packs. They're related by blood. They're related by their, uh, or rather, do we relate simply by blood? Do we relate simply by language? Do we relate simply by race? No. When you are of a nation or a church, uh, a state, or a uh, sacred entity, what joins you with the people next to you are your so-called beliefs. Well, beliefs are thoughts. And so what is it that connects people in the tightest possible way and in the most universal possible way? Holding the same what's in their heads. Thoughts. That's right. It also means, frankly, that a nation or a religion are the most inclusive possible bodies that can possibly be imagined. Which is very interesting. All you have to do is think the same stuff as somebody else. Though, obviously that causes a lot of trouble too because not everybody thinks the same way. And so factionalism arises. The point of a unified church is to bring people together. Look at the word together. It means to gather, to gather around a point, to gather around something in the middle that you all share. Here, that would be a certain belief in a certain person slash God. Point is not to further subdivide. Therefore, nor should the idea of God or Christianity or Jesus here be used as a symbol to call for war. Dante does not believe in that. He believes that war causes division. Think of the Trojan War. Think of the pain it caused both the Trojans and the Achaeans. He thinks war, not so good a thing. Nor is it supposed to be a symbol for corrupt privileges. Those are the so-called indulgences. In the Middle Ages, there was a time when uh, churches, often people who were less than scrupulous, um, would sell so-called venerated or holy objects, uh, sometimes like pieces of wood that they say came from the cross, 
of Jesus, and they would sell those for money, or they would allow people to come look at them in a museum freak show sort of way and pay money to see these things. Also, perhaps the worst abuse of this was the idea of buying time off of one's purgatorial sentence and buying time off one's relative's purgatorial sentence with money. The idea is that the money changers have made it back into the church, the same money changers that were kicked out by Jesus so long ago. You're not supposed to be making money off sacred objects, is what Dante says. That's something that businesses do, not churches in any way. But the providence, that which sees forth, will bring help. So he says that even though as dirty as things have gotten, factionalism, selling things that are beyond worth, that are invaluable, uh, terrible popes, even so, so long as man has consciousness and intelligence, what can he do? He can fix things up. He can clean things up. Because if, if things are going to get cleaned up, if somebody's going to clean up man's act, who's going to do it? It's going to be man. That's right. It's going to be man. And so when we use our intelligence, we figure out solutions, we can make the world a little bit better, though it tends naturally to become always what? Or at least our institutions tend to become always what? Corrupt. Very good. Very good. So Peter ends by telling Dante to reveal to us what he has learned. This is a pretty picture of St. Peter and St. James. I suppose that's supposed to be the interaction of love and hope. You'll notice also, if you look closely, that there is a similarity between this picture and the School of Athens. Picture the School of Athens, very famous Roman columns, though, of course, the figures in the middle are Greek. They are Plato pointing to the sky and holding his work on the cosmos called the Timaeus, Timaeo there in Latin. And Aristotle, his student, next to him with his hand flat and with his work, the Ethics. He, of course, famously argues for moderation in all things. If you look at this picture, you can see that one of these figures is pointing up, like to heaven, and one of them has his hands flat, like moderation, as if there's supposed to be a connection between that which is divine and that which is human, or that which is divine and that which is mundane, or the middle point is supposed to be what a human is, sort of like the middle point on a cross. Very interesting, very interesting. All right, the prima mobile, we will enter the next time we lecture, which will be Thursday. Good work today.